Thank you for listening to the BJJ Brick Podcast. We'll be bringing you Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and good times. We hope to flatten your Jiu-Jitsu learning curve, help you get the most out of your grappling ability, and meet your goals both on and off the mat. Welcome back to the BJJ Brick Podcast. This is episode 228. This episode, we have Miriam Cardozo. Miriam is a five-time BJJ world champion through the various belts. She started training at the age of 15, had a lot of success. She got her black belt in 2007. She is now a three-striped BJJ black belt training in Redmond, Washington. My name is Byron. I'm here with my good buddies, Joe and Gary. They just got back from a couple's massage. Joe, Gary, how's it going? I'm feeling really relaxed right now. Um, you know, all the knots are out of my muscles. Uh, you know, uh, my vagus nerve is stimulated, so I'm doing well. And Joe, no how comments. are you doing, my friend? No <laughs> you know, the crazy thing is I just read about the vagus nerve. It doesn't sound uh, uh, like we have one uh, as a male, but uh, we do. <laughs> Gary, okay, man. <laughs> uh, you know, I started this off kind of weird and, and, and tried to and throw I you guys under cha- the bus, and you like... And I really changed it. Yeah, times 10 yep. on that, buddy. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm known for. <laughs> but oh, no, man. seriously, uh, you know, a vagus nerve will help you relax, you know, and, and we can uh, stimulate our vagus nerve by deep breathing, by meditating, and by humming. Um, so I guess when I was getting a couple's massage there with Joe, somebody, uh, you know, I was deep breathing and and uh, meditating. Well, if that's what you want to call it, Gary. <laughs> <laughs> Learn something every day. Hey, just when so around. you guys really know, Joe and I did not have a couple's massage. No. That was just Byron. Immediately throwing him under the bus. Yep. Yep. We appreciate that, Byron. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm here to help. You're definitely here to help. <laughs> hey, you know who else is here to help? Health IQ. Uh, Health IQ is our sponsor. Um, they are a, a life insurance company that has awesome rates for individuals like ourselves who uh, care about uh, uh, taking care of their health. Basically, to see if you qualify for these great rates, uh, get your free quote today at healthiq.com backslash unique link, and we'll have a, a link to it in our show notes. Or if you happen to call them, uh, use the promo code unique link when you talk to your Health IQ agent. Yeah, one of the things I found interesting, Gary and Byron, I was looking at that bio sheet, that spec sheet they sent us, and um, they've got a a section there on underwriting advantages. And when an insurance agency looks at you to write you a health insurance or a life insurance policy, they look at your family history and they look at things like low resting heart rate and your BMI and your cholesterol counts and things like that. But those don't always tell the whole story. And uh, Health IQ will go in there and they'll make sure that they compensate. Uh, for instance, is that uh, generally when you reduce the carbs in your uh, diet, it's good for you. It reduces your risk of uh, uh, heart disease. But it also does raise your cholesterol levels a little bit. And a lot of insurers will just look at the cholesterol level <clears throat> and think that's a bad thing. But Health IQ understands that uh, there might be something else going on there. Um, your body mass index, insurance companies use that every day. But two guys that are five foot ten and two twenty uh, might not have the same uh, body makeup. You know, if one guy is benching three fifty and and squatting three fifty and a deadlift of four hundred, he's not going to look anything like the other guy. If the other guy's not working out at all, so they take that into consideration as well. 
and uh, they just work hard to make sure you get the best rate possible. Yeah, that's that's exactly what they're doing there, and they've got uh, they've looked at Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, and they said that these people are in great shape, and we'd be a good match for them. So if you're looking for life insurance, and really we should all have that, it really protects our families from uh, additional hardship in what would be a really hard time. Uh, check it out. There'll be a link in the show notes to Health IQ. Yeah, so definitely, uh, you know, basically call them or check online link to see if you qualify and get your free quote on life insurance. Great company there. Hey, guys, uh, I got a little off the mat lesson you might appreciate. Um, I think my kids are older than yours, but you'll be doing this in a little bit. I spent yesterday, well, yesterday was one of many days recently. I've spent helping my daughter find a, a new used car. So we went up to Houston yesterday and we kind of had a game plan. And the first car we were going to look at, wouldn't you know, they sold it first thing in the morning. And then the next dealership we went to, we just got a bad vibe. And man, before you know it, the whole our whole plan was turned upside down. Now we're just driving around Houston looking. And we eventually found her a nice used car. She's happy with it. And I think it's going to be great. And I thought about how we approach jujitsu. And if we're not flexible, if we're not... Uh, capable of, of reassessing the situation on the fly and changing game plans on the fly that uh, we can, you know, go down a wrong path and just keep going and just keep going and put our put ourselves in trouble. So, yeah, when it comes to jiu-jitsu, you got to be uh, able to adjust quickly and make changes in your course. What do you guys think? Yeah, you know, that, that's definitely uh, very important for jiu-jitsu. But, you know, what I was thinking about, Joe, is that, uh, you you go in there with your daughter to get a used car and and you said you came up with a game plan and i can imagine joe's game plan (laughs) hey we're gonna go in here we're gonna get the best deal if he doesn't give me the deal i'm gonna choke him out and i guarantee you that was probably joe's game plan right before they lose consciousness they're really easy to negotiate with yeah or if you have them in a kimura you just put the pen in their hand and make them sign for that low price that you were going to uh, that you want to pay for that. So it works great. Joe's Joe's got it down. He knows how to uh, how to get a good deal on a car. Yeah, <laughs> that uh, that's a one way to think of it. I was you know as Joe was explaining this, I was thinking about him going to different car dealerships, trying to figure out which one uh, had the best thing for them, and I was just kind of thinking about uh, going to different jujitsu schools, trying to figure out which one is right for you, and I've. Uh, talk to some listeners out there who there's one jiu-jitsu school in their community and it doesn't feel quite right to them it's not totally off to where um, they're going in and it's just so abrasive to them but they're like well if there was another one I'd probably go to the other one but there's not another one and uh, talking with some of these usually the, the thing that we result in is that you're there and it ultimately become uh, part of your gym, a gym you go to, and it'll change with you being there. So if, if nobody there is a nice person and you're going there, there's one nice person there. If, if, if you go to a gym and, and you want there to be, uh, you know, you're the only woman there, well, now there's one woman there. And the next woman that walks in, she'll say, oh, there's one woman at least. And, and so that, you know, you kind of make it work out uh, it's not necessarily the ideal situation, but you're working with what you got. Like when Joe went to the car, he's like, sold that one. That one's gone. Uh, this one, you know, actually we said it had hardly any miles. It's got a ton of miles. But you kind of figure out which what works best. And, you know, <laughs> in Houston, I get there's a million car dealerships and jiu-jitsu schools. But 
in small towns, you kind of got to work with what you got. And part of that equation is you and, uh, and you just make it work. Yeah. Well, I was thinking more of, you know, I was in a rolling match, you know, let's just say you and I were rolling and, you know, before we slapped hands and did the fist bump, I'm like, Hey, I'm going to get top position. You know, I'm going to control position. I'm going to grab a Kimura. I'm going to step over his head and I'm going to finish. Basically, then what happens is maybe I get top position after a takedown. Byron sweeps me. All of a sudden, I'm on my back. He passes. He now cements side control. Like, my whole game plan, everything I wanted to do is now thrown off. But as Joe and his his daughter did, they didn't just give up. They kept going down the street looking for more car dealerships, someplace that's going to give them a good deal. I now have to, uh, you know, shrimp, maybe recapture guard. Look for the underhook, uh, you know, shuck, uh, come up for a single leg, you know, anything to change position and get in a better position. Uh, Basically, the road, the path that we want to take when we first start, there's a bunch of roadblocks there, a bunch of stuff that is going to come in our way, down trees across the road. We are going to have to react on the fly. We're going to have to figure stuff out. It's uh, never the smooth path we want, and I don't think we'd want it that way. It, it would be too easy. We want to have uh, have some obstacles. It just makes the uh, – when we get to the end result, it makes it so much so much better, uh, so much more fulfilling. So uh, great uh, you know, off-the-mat lesson there, Joe. I think that's uh, that's awesome. Yeah, Gary, you articulated perfectly what I was trying to say. I do appreciate Byron's point, though, um, and I, I think I've, I've read it before. You know, be the change that you'd like to see in the world. So, yeah, if you're if you're in a gym and it, it's not the best situation, uh, do what you can to make a difference. Yep, that's a Mahatma Gandhi quote, I believe. We do have a quote this week from Carl Jung. Maybe it's uh, Carl Hung, if they pronounce the J with an H sound. Uh, Speaking of uncomfortable <laughs> positions. <laughs> You know, I will tell all the listeners that I decided not to take the quote this week because I couldn't figure out how Byron was setting me up with the name Carl Jung. <laughs> I figured there was something there, but uh, I said it about four or five times trying to figure it out. But I was like, you know, I'm just going to let somebody else take the quote. Yep. If you're new to the new to the podcast, uh, go back and listen to last week and uh, gave Gary a fake name and he read it and went on by and we had to bring it back. It was pretty fun. Uh, but Carl Jung said... Everything that irritates us about others can lead us to an understanding about ourselves. And I read that and I'm like, that's kind of deep. What is it thinking about? How does this relate to jiu-jitsu? Basically, the way I boil that down to is if, if something about another grappler bothers you or annoys you, it tells you something about you or your jujitsu, and it might just mean that you know Gary's uh, knee slide pass is super tight and, and and really and really good. And every time I roll Gary, it, it really is annoying because he just slices through my guard. Uh, and I, so what's it tell me about myself? Well, maybe I need to have a better side control escape. Maybe I need to learn into uh, preventing the knee cut pass and and that sort of thing. I just think that. We all have those training partners who kind of annoy us a little bit or irritate us, and not necessarily because they're rude or uh, you know their tactics on the mat are unpleasant to roll with. I mean, we have those too, but it's something like, oh, dang, I'm going to roll with this guy. And it's a normal roll, but it, something about it doesn't quite sit right as far as uh, how you perform. Don't necessarily read 100% into them doing that. Look into yourself as a grappler and try to think about, what does this tell me about my game? What do I need to change? Yeah, that's a good point. I was thinking while you were talking about uh, 
you know, if you go to a gym and, and you've got a half a dozen teammates that you won't roll with because they're all spazzes in your book, and you're the only one that sort of has that uh, uh, opinion of these guys, it may not be that they're spazzes. It may be that you're not working to develop your speed and quickness and, and you're not able to slow them down. Maybe they're just athletic and uh, kind of explosive guys, but they're not spaz and you just can't keep up with them. And, you know, it, it's a tough thing to self-reflect and, and identify that in yourself. But if you do, then you can deal with it and you can uh, make adjustments and, and then start rolling with these guys and get the benefit of that. You know, I was talking to a guy last night uh, that I trained with and we were talking about a, another guy we trained with who's got a really tight side control, really great top game. And, uh, you know, I was saying it's like, yeah, rolling with that guy is, you know, brutal. He gets side control and, uh, and uh, you know, I'm done. And, you know, the way I came at it was talking about it was kind of negative. You know, I was saying he gets me in side control and, and it's over basically. And I like what the other guy told me. He's like, yeah, I love his his, you know, what he said back to me is, I, I love rolling with that guy. I let him start in side control because I know if I can get out of his side control, it's going to make me that much better. And you know, it made me reflect that, you know, here I am. I was coming at it kind of negative the way I was talking about it, and you know, and I know this. I know that you go against better people, it's going to make you better, and that's the attitude I have to have is what uh, that person was telling me I I need to realize that you know instead of just saying hey this guy you know dominates me as soon as he passes what I need to do is kind of like what Byron said you know let's work on my side control escapes let's uh, find out something that I can do better to you know it, somebody's going to pass my guard that, that's going to happen I can work on making my guard passing better or not but this guy's such great in this position why don't I work and try to get a better uh, side control escape where, you know, if I can escape his side control, I can probably escape anybody's side control. So it's just going to make me uh, change my mindset a little bit. And uh, hopefully, which not hopefully, I know I'll get better uh, just by putting myself in that position. Yep, I think basically this is an easy way to kind of force yourself to, to reflect on your own game. And you were talking about spazzes. Controlling a spaz is a legitimate thing. And if you're a blue belt and above and, and you're really annoyed by somebody who's your size and, and is spazzy, um, take time, look at your own game. How could I control this person? I'm a blue belt. I'm, I should be good at jiu-jitsu. You are good at jiu-jitsu. Uh, but what techniques can I do differently? What positions can I employ that I don't really use right now to control somebody who's spazzy? And at the blue belt level, especially on up, you get really good about fighting people who do jujitsu, doing, you know, you're countering a triangle choke. At no point will a spaz who's fairly no jujitsu throw out a decent triangle choke on you. you don't, I mean, that's not part of the game. But controlling somebody who's kind of out of control and just trying to do whatever they can unpredictably is, is a skill that we could learn during jujitsu. You just have to take it uh, upon the time so that you're training with a spaz to figure out what they're doing and how you could mitigate that because they're not acting in a smart technical way. They're just kind of going nuts and uh, they're, they're surprising you is what they're doing with some of their movements. Yeah. If you want to train for self-defense, uh, spending some time grappling with uh, people that are kind of spazzing a little bit is probably your best training. You know, Joe, that's one of the best pieces of advice I've heard. And I have heard a lot of people, <laughs> No, I'm really, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm serious. I'm not joking. And I have heard a lot of people say they don't like to roll with that spazzy person. And I always kind of come back and say, like what Joe does, it's like, I don't necessarily train for self-defense. I train for fun. But 
I look at it that when I have to go with somebody like that, the super strong, the super spazzy person, man, that's that's real life. I, I know that if I can control this person and do halfway well, I'm going to be OK in a one on one self-defense situation. And, um, you know, that's one of the, you know, a great benefit of jujitsu, the self-defense aspect of it. And um, so, yeah, I I when Joe said that, it just, you know, I, I say that a lot. And I, I do think some people don't roll with a spazzy person. And I know you may not want to get hurt and, or, you know, don't want to get kneed in the face and this and that, but you know, if your jujitsu is really that good and you can control that person, it's going to be a good experience for you. It's going to teach you a lot. You're going to have to do stuff differently. When, when Byron and I roll, you know, I know Byron's very technical, you know, he's going to do move. He's going to move the way I expect him to move. The great thing about going with, with maybe, you know, somebody we, we term as a spaz, they are not always going where we expect them to. I may open up a door, hoping that person goes down that, that path to danger, but they don't move how I'm expecting. They're going to move another way. And, and I'm going to have to, you know, keep distance. I mean, keep, keep close, uh, not let a lot of distance, you know, just to protect myself and, uh, and make sure I'm okay. So, uh, I think that, uh, uh, you know, the self-defense aspect uh, of that is, uh, is valuable. So Gary, I just got two comments. First of all, you said that my advice was the best advice you've ever heard. Well, and then you went on to tell us how many times you've personally given that advice. <laughs> so, so, so you're telling us that you are brilliant. I, I, I see. Thank how you, it works. Joe. I, I appreciate you letting me know that I'm brilliant. Thank you, Joe. Awesome. <laughs> no, but I, I was going to comment on uh, what you were saying. I read that uh, Travis Stevens was asked one time why he doesn't use more jujitsu in or more judo in his jujitsu matches, and he said because jujitsu players don't react the way that he's conditioned to expect somebody to react when he grabs a collar and a sleeve and he starts manipulating them. You know, all his judo throws are based on a specific reaction that he gets from other judo players. So, um, yeah, it's definitely a, a unique situation. Yeah, and I see that a lot. Like, when I'm I, – I do better rolling against a, a person who's been rolling about a year. Uh, they may not be the best grappler, but they're rolling a year. They kind of – I know where they're going to move, but a lot of times that guy who comes in very first day has no judo or has no jujitsu background, you know, let's just say no wrestling background or anything. You know, we start rolling. It's a little awkward because that person's not going where I think they should be going. They, they don't have the feel, you know, of pressure and, uh, you know, angles and everything. And, uh, it, it's good. I think it's good for my jujitsu for real life scenarios. I think that, yeah. that's why I like to pick street fights all the time because you know, <laughs> it's always going to be a, a little different. Picking the street fight will help your self-defense provided you live and uh, don't get, you know, gravely injured. Yeah. <laughs> Terrible well, you advice. Know what I, you know what I always tell you guys? You know, I've done this a lot and you know my record in, in matches to the death. Both of you guys do. I'm 15, 13, and 7 in matches yeah, to the death. Brutal. So, yeah, pretty good uh, record, I think. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah, I'm O and O and O and proud and happy with that. Yeah. <laughs> but if you ever need a corner man, Gary, I'm there for you. Oh, thanks for having my back, Joe. Literally. <laughs> well, this wraps up the quote and more. I'll read the quote one more time so you can think about it. Everything that irritates us about others can lead us to understanding of ourselves. Carl Hung, or maybe Carl Jung, probably. <laughs> we'll be headed our way towards the interview with Mariam Cardozo. 
he is the most interesting grappler in the world. His Facebook page has twice as many likes as the BJJ Brick Facebook page because everyone who likes the BJJ Brick Facebook page also likes his page. But then their moms go and like his page too. He can toehold a duck. The first time he took his opponent's back, he never returned it. It now sits on his mantle in a jar of formaldehyde. I don't always listen to podcasts. But when I do, I prefer the BJJ Brick Podcast. Go for the submission, my friends. All right, my friends, I'm happy to bring Miriam Cardozo to the BJJ Brick Podcast. Miriam, welcome to the show. I'm happy to have you here today. Hi, Byron. Thank you for having me here today. I'm so excited. And I'm so happy to be able to share a little bit of my story with you guys. All right. I'm, I'm happy to hear that story and learn from you. Uh, you are a five-time uh, world champion uh, in BJJ, and you've competed in a bunch of other tournaments. You're now a second-degree black belt, and uh, correct me if I'm wrong, you're head coach of the elite Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu team yes. in uh, Redmond, I'm, Washington? Yes. I'm actually now a third degree. Yeah. Oh, I'm, third degree. Yes. I'm a black belt for 11 years now. Wow, that that is awesome. Yeah. So we've got a lot of different uh, areas we could go with our conversation. But first, would you just kind of introduce yourself and kind of give us a little bit of a history of yourself on the mat? Yes. Oh, so my name is Miriam. I'm from Brazil, Rio de Janeiro. And then I started training jiu-jitsu when I was 15 years old. And at the beginning... I didn't really know what jiu-jitsu was. I was just trying different sports. Um, in Brazil, we have the, that we call projects that we bring kids from the favelas in Brazil to, to do different sports. So keep ourselves busy. You know, that's how I got into doing jiu-jitsu. And then from that, I started going for tournaments and then I started fall in love with jiu-jitsu and today i'm here in the united states and working with that you know um so i feel very blessed so you started competing pretty early on i did um it's funny that so after training jiu-jitsu like for uh, three months my professor he was like, oh, we're going to have a tournament. I will sign you up for the tournament. And I was like, okay. And then he actually, they actually got like, they rent like a bus and put on all the athletes and took us for the tournament. And it was like a state tournament in Rio de Janeiro. And I was the only one on the team that got first place. And my professors were, we had like 12 black belts that tore over there on the project, you know. So all my professors were yelling, screaming. They, they were picking me up and throwing me on the air. But me, I, I had no idea. I was like, oh my gosh, they're all crazy, right? They're like, yeah. <laughs> screaming like crazy. <laughs> and they're tossing me out of the air. <laughs> <laughs> and then I go when when that was over, I go inside the bus and everybody's still talking about Black Blavy, you champion, blah blah blah. And I was like, 
okay, can somebody tell me, like, but why it's so important? And they were like, okay, then they realized that we did, truly didn't understand that that was important. And they sat down and they were like, man, that's a stage tournament. And that's a really important. It's one of the most important, important tournaments that we have in a year. You're a state champion. That's very, very valuable for you and for our team. You know, it represents our hard work. And I was like, oh, okay. And I started feeling proud of myself. And then they put on me on this. My second tournament was a national tournament. So I came, my first tournament was a state tournament. <laughs> the second one was a national tournament. And then I, then I was a, a little bit more nervous because I understand that was like, it's, that was important for my team, you know, to win that. And then... I got first place that too. And from there one was, um, you know, was the um, world tournament. And then on my first world tournament, I didn't got first place. But it's okay. I got second. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was happy with the second too. Not so happy like the girl that got first, but it's okay. <laughs> um, so that's how I started, like, getting into going for tournaments, you know, but that wasn't my goal at the beginning. Even when I was at the tournament, I didn't thought that I couldn't win. I was just thinking like, okay, somebody going to be the champion. And it would just make the champion have a hell of a time with me. She's going to have a hard time to be the champion still. Because now I'm on the division and I'm not going to make it easy for her. And I was just thinking like it and become a wall for somebody else. Like if you you really wanted that, you got to pass through me first. And with that mindset, they couldn't pass. And then I became the champion. But I wasn't really thinking about being the champion. I just want to make them have a hard time. <laughs> That's an interesting uh, mindset. Is just uh, early competitions, you, you really took to it so well. Um, do you remember, like, your favorite moves that you were doing back then, way early on, your three months, you're competing and doing very well? Do you remember if you were playing guard or top or what you were doing? I think I started playing bottom first. And uh, it was probably because, uh, you know, I was learning and uh, it's so hard to play on top when you don't know a lot of moves because right away they're putting your back on the ground again, you know. Yeah. They, like, skip you, and so basically you're always on the bottom. So m- most of the people learn your bottom top and uh, bottom game first and then go to top. Um, then I would not, like, from the bottom I would do, like, more on bars. That would be like my number one submission that I would go for it. And then later on, you start to, you know, learning that just the bottom game, it will not do much for you. You need to know top two. So then I start playing top, top game. Now I, now I, I don't have like a favorite game, like a bottom top. I go with the flow. You know, like if if they want to play top, they play bottom. If they want to play bottom, they play top. 
And that's something that I like to do. I don't like to, an example, if I go to a tournament. And I know a lot of people do that and it works for them. But for me, it doesn't work. I like to, if if I know the girl like to play bottle, I let she pull and I play top. Because it, for me to feel like a champion, I want to know my heart that one on and letting her play her best game. You know what I mean? Like, I don't want to, like, um, kill her best game and play my game, you know? Like, so playing on the game that she's not so good. You yeah. Know? I like if she likes to play border, then I go, she will play border, and I will play top. And I want to, like, make sure that I can kill her bottle game and if I win her best game then I feel like okay I'm the winner you know and that's the way that it gives me more pleasure I would say it sounds like a more difficult way though to to win letting them play into their strong game it is but in the end uh, it's it uh, you want to be the champion winning because uh, you had to you know, to not let they play their game, or you want to be the winner, letting someone playing their strongest game, and you still are able to succeed. You know, I think that's the hardest thing to do. And then I never took the easy way, and then wouldn't be at the tournament that would do that. You know, yeah. I always try to. It it I don't know. Maybe I'm kind of crazy. <laughs> <laughs> no, it sounds like you're adding a little bit of a challenge. As a, as a coach, if you're coaching somebody who is a blue belt or purple belt or I guess anywhere, and they're, yeah. they're competing against somebody who they know has a certain part of their game that's really good, do you coach them to, to go to that game and, and get past it, or do you coach them to no. avoid it when it's somebody else, no. not you? No. no. No, I don't do that because I do that. And it's the first time that I'm actually saying that to someone. <laughs> now everybody gonna know. <laughs> <laughs> um, I only do that when I compete because it's a personal goal, you know. It's something that I nobody knows, you know. It's inside my head. When I go over there, only I know where I'm, where I'm going for, you know. It's uh, not about the matter. It's about do I. Do I have a better game than you? Can I control your top game or your bottom game? You playing your game. Can I do that? You know? And so it's very personal to me. Where my students is competing, it's it's their own goals, you know? So I need to follow and help them with what they need. If they come and tell me, Professor, I know that person is good on the bottom, but I really want to play on top and I would say, go ahead. But if they like it, I know they're really good on the bottom, and I, I don't, I, I just don't want to lose. I, I want to win. Jeez, I'm like, don't let them play on the bottom. You know, yeah, where they gonna save you? <laughs> they're gonna save you trouble with you. Know? <laughs> yeah. But, um, but I don't do like my personal goals. I don't use that on my students, you know, because we all have a different journey in what we want in jiu-jitsu. And then, like, yeah, I was talking about that actually yesterday. I went to Holly Grace's seminar yesterday, 
and then he was telling us about one tournament that he lost and I was telling him that asking him if if he has the same problem that I have because uh, I can remember the tournament that I lost like if it was yesterday but none of the tournament that I win I don't remember with details you know I just remember that in the end I won but it's not so clear on my head you know and then he was saying that's normal it's because that's the that's the tournament that brings more you know we learn more when we lose so I guess that's why it's stuck in my head I'm like I couldn't beat that game you know how <laughs> and we're trying to figure it out you know how to do it and so. you think when you win you just I won and you accept that and then you move on to the next thing and when uh, a tournament doesn't go well for you you think about it you replay it in your head over and over again and you try yeah. to figure out how to how to defeat what was presented to you at that match yeah it's, yeah and um, one thing that I have trouble to it's uh, if I go from one tournament and it's so close to the next tournament that I try to avoid or thinking about like what one is more important for me because it um, can be challenging for me like if I go an example right now I have the penems and right after I have the words. And uh, I would like to go to the PNM, but it's so close to the world that I'm afraid that if I do the PNMs and I win, then I get all happy. Like, oh, I won. And then the next tournament's coming up, then I'm not so focused, you know. So I'm like, okay, I will just avoid the PNM and I will just go to the world. Because the way it's a one shot, it's one chance. It's a basically do or die, you know. So then I go with a much more... Um, effort, I would say, like, yeah, I really pay attention every single thing that I'm doing, like what I'm eating, what I'm drinking, how much time of sleep I'm having, you know. Like last night, my husband was like, let's watch TV, and I'm like, no, I need to get eight hours of sleep. Say hours of sleep because I have a tournament coming up and my body needs to be 100%. <laughs> so. Yeah, that's... Uh... You're very focused. It's interesting that you don't want to do uh, a tournament that's a little ahead because it will uh, you th- distract you a little bit if you have success and maybe take away some of your your drive to compete at the at the bigger stage of of worlds. Yeah, um, and some people they they say like they like to go because they take it's kind of like a warm up, you know. They kind of get yourself ready sure. you know, so do one tournament before but when I do that it doesn't work for me because uh, nobody go to the tournament think about losing you know we all go to the tournament thinking about doing a good good job at least so if I'm there I know they will like it try really hard to do a good job and then if the result is a win then I might lose it my folks for the word because uh, but if I lose then it will be really good <laughs> for the word but then I don't want to lose you know so it's like just don't go <laughs> if you don't want to lose <laughs> and you don't want to lose the folks just don't go and 
And besides that, I had the will of you want to be a Pan, Am- Pan American champion because it was the only uh, title that I didn't have. And then uh, I had my daughter. I was in 2010 that she was born. And then in, I believe it was 2013. Or, yeah, 2013, I went to the Pan Ams. Then I won the Pan Ams. Then it's like a... Okay, you know, it's good enough, <laughs> I guess. I just want to win the war, that's all. <laughs> okay. It, 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 looking at this whole thing about how um, you know that it'll, it'll be a distraction for your, for your big goal that you have, uh, I think th- that's just a lesson that people could take that you have so much competition experience and you know that some people will go compete and they use a tournament a month ahead as a tune-up or as a as kind of a see where they're at and see what they need to work on, and and that's a good thing for them. Some people will go to a tournament like that, and they'll lose the motivation afterwards if they do well. They won't have that fire, that drive anymore, and that's where you're putting yourself. And so just your experience of competing so much, you recognize that as, if I compete before this tournament, I likely won't compete as well at that tournament. Yeah, and that's a that's a really interesting thing you've discovered about yourself, and I think that you can't discover that until you've competed a whole bunch, and, and you know, like this, you know, a lot of people who listen and who compete a lot, maybe they could look for that sort of a trend and and look to see what they think is helping them as a earlier match, you know, you know, something a month ahead of time might actually be taking away some of their drive and some of their uh, kind of their fire they have while they're training. Yeah, yeah, definitely. For me, it definitely works like that, you know, <clears throat> because um, I feel like uh, every time, every single time that I did that, they compete on uh, one tournament in the either way, you know, a couple months later, compete the tournament that I really want to win, then the result wasn't the result that I want. But it's because when you win the first tournament, then you think in your head that you're already doing everything right. You know, everything is right. I already won one tournament, so I will just keep working that way and I will win the next tournament. But we forget about the people watching our match too, you know, so they started working around you for every mistake we did over there, you know, that we didn't see. And then the, the next tournament becoming more challenging. Because they just saw you fighting a couple months before. And then because uh, you're not so focused, you know, because you just got, you just won a tournament. So that's what I think, you know. I know from some people are different. And, but what I like to use uh, is that warm up, you know, because I do like to kind of get my body ready to, but I do open class. I just register myself to the, to the open class and I do the open class first. I kind of get that, you know, the, f- the first hits on my body ready. And then when I'm ready for my, um, my division, then I already got like, a, you know, kind of like myself on that mood, you know. So, but I don't like to do like one tournament before. Yeah. I just, if I need to do that, it's just, putting myself in the open class. That's how I started up uh, doing open class because I'm a really light vision, you know, I'm a feather away. 
Um, actually, it's super featherweight. <laughs> so it's even lighter. It's 118 pounds with the gear. Um, but that's how I started putting myself to do open clutch, just because I was like, no, I want to kind of get my body, you know, ready. So I would do open clutch. And, and then <clears throat> a couple of times they, I was able to win the open class. Not not always though. I lost more than I win. But then it was good because I came from a loss right away doing my division. They was like, Oh my gosh, I need to win this <laughs> you know. Use the anger in your favor, you know. Very that's really impressive that you've done uh, so well in some of the open classes that you've entered into. Uh how does your strategy change when you're competing with the, the larger athletes? <clears throat> oh, I love wrist locks on open class. That's my number one goal moving. Because the, the wrist, it's, it's right there, you know? And it's so, sometimes it's so easy to get it, you know? Um, that's it. When, actually has a, a good start behind that. <laughs> when, uh, back in the day, I injured myself on an open class when I was a uh, belt. And then back in the day, like the mat was like a puzzle mat. So I had like a little space. And when the girl on the open class came to do a, a double leg edge sprawl, and then my foot got stuck inside of that puzzle mat. And when I tried to lift myself up to pull my foot out of the match, then she finished the double leg. So it was like whole way over my way with my leg stuck. Anyway, so I broke my ankle and I got second place on the open class. Wow. <laughs> that day because it was the final. Um, but then I had to get surgery and I had to take a little time out of jiu-jitsu. It took me it took me six months to fully recover and come back. Then uh, later on, I started training again, started competing. And then I was able to be a world champion in, in, in the purple belt division. And then my professor upgraded my belt to the brown. And in that year, when I was a brown belt, I... Again, went to the finals at the open class division, being a purple belt, uh, brown belt. And, and it was with the same girl that I broke my ankle. Her name is, uh, Auntie. She actually now teaches in Abu Dhabi. She was like a three division or four above my division. And, was the final was with her and then my professor came and he was so honest he was like Miriam I don't think you can do it let's just go home you know you're gonna break yourself again and you know you still gotta finish your division after the the open class so how are you gonna do that let's just don't do it and then I look at him and I was like he he honestly like it it's from his heart he don't believe he can win you know, he he's the only person that I thought that he would never doubt, you know, the fact that we work so hard and then, then jiu-jitsu in the end of the day, it's not about, you know, power, it's about technique. And he 
believe that my technique cannot be this girl, you know. And I was like, please stay. And he like, no, it's so late already. I'm hungry here, and I need. To, let's. You're gonna. I will stay here. You're gonna end up getting hurt, and I'm here for hours. And I was like, yeah, I pay your lunch or dinner, whatever. It's just. <laughs> he was the only eyes that I wanted to be on me on that match. You know, it's like, yeah, I need him to believe it, that, that I can do it. I can't agree with him and say, yeah, I can't do it, you know. So he stayed. I remember being, I isolated myself where nobody was close to me. And I remember I was just rocking myself back and forth. I was like in a deep zone where I was like, yeah, I need to do this. And I can't go home and let my professor, you know, have that inside his heart. And I, I need I need to. And it changed that, you know. And when they called my name to the, the final with that girl. And I think she was kind of losing too, you know, because she already, she probably thought like, yeah, I already won her one time. And, you know, and I don't think she was focused as much as I was on that day because of that. And then I, I went to like, I gave my everything on that day. And then... In the end of the day, I won. And it was the day that he gave my black belt because he couldn't believe. It. He was like, it. He, he was, I remember he asking somebody outside, somebody just give me a black belt. <laughs> <laughs> Picking up a black belt from somebody I was there using. He was like, kid. And he put it on my waist and, and it was uh, on the state tournament. That was on the state tournament. That's when I got my black belt on the podium. And that was like yeah, a really relief for me. I love it being able to get promoted, you know, on the podium as a black belt. That was really good. But nothing compared the feeling of you changing somebody's mind and what they think about you. You know, like, yeah, I was like, I need to change that. And then that day I was able to make him believe not in just me, but in all work. It's not me alone, you know. I need to, I, on that day, I needed him to believe in his own work, you know. It's like you working too. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, it was, for me, it was, um, I will always have it there in my, uh, my memories, you know. So that was, yeah, it was good, good memories, good to rem- remember about that. Yeah, <laughs> Miriam. A lot of people are uh, given a black belt, and it's kind of a surprise. They didn't necessarily expect to get it that day, but it sounds like your coach was surprised by you, and and he didn't expect to give a black belt that day. And he no. just, it just felt, he just felt like it had to be done. And, and, and he surprised himself, I think. And, and you surprised him, I guess would be the ultimate uh, reason for that. But yeah, that's yeah, a it's, um, no. crazy story. Yeah, no, definitely. He wasn't ready to promote me. He wasn't like, oh, I will promote her. No, not at all. Because he didn't even have the belt there. You know, he was begging me to just leave the match and go home or just finish my division and go home, you know. And just because I think it's too, 
Well, he trained me for so long since I was a little girl. So he has that father spirit in him where he's looking for his little girl, you know. Like he didn't want to see me going through that situation again. Yeah. And getting surgery and uh, getting not being able to train. And so I understand he's being like afraid of it, that happening again. And I think that um, what made him get so more scared was because it was against the same girl, you know, the same girl. And I was like, yeah. but in the end of the day, it was an accident, you know. It wasn't like it was a stupid mission that she did on me. It was like my foot got stuck inside the mat, you know. So it's like it happened. Things happen. And uh, you can't let something like that control you, you know, and they control your mind where you not believe in yourself no more, you know, or you think that that person you, you're not going to be able to beat because you lost for them once. So like, it's not that the, the, the real challenge it's actually before you get inside the match, you know, you, you got to fight against your own mind and you got to like, uh, tell your own self that you're capable to do it. And even if the most important person beside you that you think that will, the one that will support you and believe in you, say that on that time that you need that they don't believe you can do it, you got to understand that you're playing in your own team, you know, and you're the one that should never doubt yourself, you know. So I, I couldn't I couldn't agree with him. I just couldn't. I would not doubt myself on that. You know, I will always try. And if you would lose on that day, that's fine too. But I would not go home without trying. It's no way. Yeah. And from his perspective, I think he's okay with you trying. But in that, in the open class, he was just yeah. fearful of somebody who he really cared for a lot and saw grow up. And and didn't want to see get injured, and so that that fear of you getting hurt uh, overtook his uh, idea of the positive that could happen. Yeah, 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 it's for sure. And I think too, he would like just be happy with uh, your your winning your division, you know. Yeah, like, just that alone is pretty good. And uh, and I totally agree with him. But and that's the thing. That's uh, how we can uh, we can come back from where we start talking you know like yeah, it's not about the metal like when I go over there I wanted them to play their best game but it's like personal for me you know I want to challenge myself in other things besides just being winning just winning you know a medal it's not that that medal actually it's not valuable you know it it's worth nothing it's what you're doing over there what how you're challenging yourself you know it's so it's all very personal, you know, and for me on that day, you know, it wasn't about winning her. It was about making sure that 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 he will always believe me, you know, <laughs> that he would like it. So it works. Now when we actually made a party before before I moved to United States I live here for 10 years or almost 10 years now and uh, so 10 years ago when I decided that, that I was going to move here and work here, then we made um, a, 
barbecue party over there. And on that day, he said that, that he's afraid of telling me that, that I can jump through the window that will fly. Because he said, if I say that, she, you're going to see her jump out the window. <laughs> And they say, and they do the worst part on top of that. You will see her flying and you're going <laughs> to have a heart attack. <laughs> so for me, that day was like it. You know, I always remember that words. I was like, yeah, that's right. If you tell me that I will jump and fly, I will jump and you're going to see me flying. <laughs> it's a, this is an interesting uh, kind of a transition from us talking about competing early on. And, and then talking about competing uh, at the upper belts and your interactions with your coach. How has this affected the type of a coach and uh, professor that you are when you're helping your uh, students do their best? Oh, um, I was very blessed, you know, like uh, at the place that we train in Brazil, it was like 12 black belts. And you... Because it's a project, you know, it's a lot of people donate their time to go teach us. And a lot of people, some people get paid to teach us too, but some not. And, but you have all the different um, ways of doing the same thing. An example, like it, they would have a schedule and if in that day they would be working on bars from Fumau, then you get the chance of learning on bars from Fumau from numerous different black belts you know and they all have that different way of doing it you know and i would like it to i would always pay attention i always try to do exactly how each one of them were teaching me and now helps me a lot today because uh, i'm uh, i'm small and i'm light but sometimes um, my class have a guy that's big and strong and I can remember like how my professor taught me, like my big and strong professor, there would be a baron and he was like a, over 200 pounds, he's very tall and I remember how he would teach me because I work with for his type of body, you know, so then I can help my students doing the same way that he used to do it you know and then so the variation helped me to be able to guide my students today and um, I always keep my mind open to not having like just one way of doing one thing you know I always have like always you gotta change and depends of the you know how flexible they are how big or how small and they they help me along down have like an open mind of learning different ways of doing the same thing. Cause sometimes on the class yeah, would happen that a professor the first professor would teach a technique, and then was the second class and it would be another professor teaching the same technique. Then the student would say, "Well, but or the first professor show us that technique, but he showed." kind of different you know and he would say it's always a different way of skinny cat <laughs> you know yeah <laughs> it's it's not that wrong or this one it's better it's that we are different person we have different body types so you know you gotta learn how to adapt for your body type and and 
I always remember that, you know, and I try to tell my students when I teach them technique. I teach them the technique and I always tell them if you need to adjust the technique for your type of body, do it. You know, don't have it to be exactly how I'm doing because I am small and you are bigger than me. So how, what the comfortable way to do for you, you know? So I let that open for them too. It, it's an interesting concept because when I'm learning a jiu-jitsu technique, I really do just learn it for me. I just like, how is this working for my body? How do, how do I get this to work? How does this fit in with what I already know? And it sounds like mm-hmm. pretty early on, you were learning from somebody who was a lot bigger than you, and you were learning it your way and also observing and taking from uh, the way of somebody who was a lot bigger. And so now that you're coaching and teaching people, you can recall that information. Okay, here's how the the bigger person would do this. Uh, it's a little differently, but here's, here's how uh, the adjustments are made. And it's it really you're learning several different types of jiu-jitsu that really – that method of learning and that idea of training really has probably helped your uh, ability to coach students who are a lot different than you. And also, like as I think about this, as you compete in the open weight division sometimes, you know how the bigger people like to do their techniques a little differently, so it might help you be more aware of what they're trying to do as well. Yeah, for sure. No, for sure. Yeah, it helped a lot. And I try to pass that knowledge for the students because the um, – my goal is to be able to to become a student again. For that to happen, I need to make professors, you know. So I need to make sure that they can get as much knowledge that they can. So I try to pass it, all that to them. I also always try to bring one of my professors once a year. So I waited for Hercules. And the um, Julius Caesar, he's, you probably know him. He's the um, owner of the Jeff team. Yeah. He was, yeah, he was my professor too. He is my professor still. <laughs> I call him too. He's like my <laughs> family to me. Um, but he was one of the 12 black belts on that project. Uh, so I learned from him too and from many others. So I try to bring it down once a year. And I tell the students, oh, look, that's my professor. And then next time, next year, I bring another one. They say, that's my professor. And like, you have so much, <laughs> so many professors. It's like, yeah, don't you see? I'm so lucky. <laughs> I, I just try to, to, you know, I wanted them to have the experience and to, you know, to learn from them. And then have the other one that's uh, we call him Boquinha. He's in, I believe he's in Florida now, but we're planning on bringing him Gizia. Gizia, it's easy to come down and visit, you know. Um, first time that I, uh, that I got Master Julio here, he, right when I opened the gym for him, he sat down on the mat and he was just crying, crying, crying. And then he called one of the other professors in Brazil and he started saying, we did it, we did it. All hard work, it's, uh, you know, we did it. Because for them, that's more than anything, you know. Seeing one of the girls that starting in a, 
you know, poor project in Brazil, been, you know, working with Jiu-Jitsu today. And then for me, I was so happy to make them proud, you know, too. And, and all the time that they put on the match, you know, giving to us free Jiu-Jitsu, you know. I never had to play, pay for Jiu-Jitsu over there. I trained Jiu-Jitsu for free for my whole life. And then it always started because they want us not to get involved with games and doing forever was wrong over there, you know, because everything there was so close to us, you know. I remember like in my house, my, my parents' house in Brazil, right on front, it had like people that would like sell drugs and they would like leave the house and walk it you know, by them to go to school, you know, so we see all this stuff growing up and the jiu-jitsu was like a getaway, you know, like, yeah, over there, we forget about all we see over there, all the dead bodies that we had to see on our way to school too, you know, I'd say it's a totally different life over there and like every time that I wake up and I look uh, outside, I'm just so grateful to be here. You know, I, I truly love this country and love the opportunity that, that this country gave me, you know, to be able to just sometimes leave my car open, you know, and don't worry about <laughs> <that> somebody gonna. <laughs> what have you learned as far as? running uh you know an academy and being being a head coach what kind of unique challenges has that brought to you that that you didn't necessarily learn as you were becoming a great athlete first thing that i learned was don't do this alone that was my first thing because it's it can become very stressful you know and if you want to be like a good wife a good mom for your kids and plus be a good head coach and run a business, a business, it's like if you're trying to do by yourself, that would put on so much stress on you, you know? So that was my first lesson, was like, don't do it alone, you know? Get somebody that has it, something that you don't have. And then always, that's when my partner came along, you know? Um, my partner, he's super smart. And uh, he's so wise on business side, you know. So then it was like, that's best because he has it totally what I don't have. <laughs> you know, he can um, think about like uh, how to grow the business and uh, how to make sure that, that the gym is comfortable for the customers, you know. And the, all that side that I don't know so well. And that was great for me to, uh, you know, be able to uh, to find him. Um, and then, so that was like I would say, like the first thing. First, I wouldn't, I wouldn't do that by myself. Yeah, I, w- I would definitely not do it by myself because uh, it can like it get you in so much stress because you always have to do something, you know. And if you not pay attention in all the sides, then you start failing, you know. And then I think uh, jiu-jitsu 
like like jiu-jitsu didn't tell me that it was like literally life yeah it was like <laughs> you gotta you gotta have people that support you and believe yeah. in what you do you know so who are some of the people that are currently uh, supporting you and helping you uh, have success oh number one would be Scott you know his name is Scott Manchester I met him teaching his kids at his garage I used to teach his kids on Saturdays and one day I went and I told him that I wasn't going to be able to teach no more because um, I got the opportunity of opening my own business you know with some other guy that we would do um, 50-50 in the gym. And then he was like, no, you know, open gym with me. And I was like, oh my gosh, he's he's joking, you know. And then I told my husband, and my husband said, no, he's not joking. He's like <laughs> hitting on you. No, my, my husband was like, he's hitting on you. And we're like, uh-huh. no, he's not. <laughs> I was like, no, he's not, because his wife came and talked to me too. <laughs> So you're like, so both are hitting on you. I was like, oh my gosh, no, they're not. <laughs> uh. Anyways, um, then, then I started seeing that he was serious about it. He started like uh, sending emails and calling, you know, and trying to set up meetings. And I was like, wow, this guy's really serious. Maybe I'm not going to have to leave the Seattle area, you know, because I would have had to move. And and then we talked, me and my husband talked to Scott and his wife, Rachel. And then they were like, no, we really love the way you teach the kids. And if it, to make you, we, you stay, we need to open a gym so you can stay. So we're going to do it. And then that's basically how the the team starts. You know, that's it. Now we have a six other gyms we have two gyms that we own and um, four affiliations and then we started from everything starts from teaching his kids at his garage and then they are now wanting me to leave wow um, and since then it's been like an amazing journey we get along so well and then before we started with a business first you know uh, and now they are like my best friends and people that I can count on and then the same thing for them too they know that they can count on me you know and we do everything that we can to help each other and then to keep it you know giving jujitsu to other people and then it's we we made a, a great community here Miriam you started jujitsu when you were 15 uh, and, and now you're teaching jiu-jitsu and, and part of, uh, you know, getting your own gym was teaching kids and they really liked the way that you were doing that and you have that great interaction with them. Uh, you do have two children of your own. Do they train? Yes, they do. They train jiu-jitsu too. And they, uh, they train and they help at the gym too, you know. They always help with the customers too. They they are like a, I I always tell them because I gotta make sure that they are like well behaving. They do everything really good because it, 
they are the one that do the advertisement, you know? Yeah. Because if I can train my own kids, and <laughs> if I can make sure that they are like a good uh, listeners, you know, and they know um, this plan, then how can I teach somebody else kids? <laughs> You know, so they also then you guys that do the advertisement, so you guys make sure that you guys <laughs> are being uh, polite and then when you're on the match that you're practicing the technique right, that you're not playing around, you know. And then and then I know then that they're kids too, so sometimes they just want to have fun and I can, I relax too, I try to relax a little bit and not be too much on them, you know, because they're Sometimes adults are the same way. <laughs> when I have fun yeah. and get a little ornery. Looking at the makeup of your of your students, of your customers, how many of them are kids? How many are adults? Do you have a, a, a big women's team? Tell me a little bit about the makeup of the class. Um, we still have more guys than girls. Um, I would say, like, every class here will never let like that's the minimum number would be never less than 20 people inside the mats, you know, but they like, you don't have as many girls still, you know, you still have more guys than girls. Um, and I'm okay with that too. Like, yeah, when I started training jiu-jitsu, was, I was the only girl. And I love training with the guys too. And I'm glad that my girls like to train with the guys too, you know. Um, I, I don't really want to separate them. And that's why I don't do like a girls-only class. You know, I want to be for everyone. And if somebody doesn't feel comfortable in training with you girls or if guys, then they just let me know and I will, you know, do my best to guide them to train with the girls or with the guys. But... Yeah, the, all the classes, it's uh, pretty full. It's funny that my partner at the beginning, he asked me if I would like to teach just kids, you know, make it like a gym that would be just for kids and teenagers and not adults. And I told him, no, you know, I told him, no, I want to be able to, to teach everybody, you know. That's all, that's, that's, was the whole point of learning. <laughs> Jiu-Jitsu was to be able to train for anybody, anybody that wants to learn, you know. If it's a, a guy, a girl, if it's somebody that has some like, um, physical condition that they need to work, you know, anybody. I had like a girl that she, she was blind, I mean, she's blind. And her mom came to bring her to the class and they were like, I don't know if you don't want to teach her, it's okay. And I was like, no, I would love to teach her. You know, I'm so glad that you guys got her here, you know, and giving me the opportunity of teaching her, you know. So, and she got so good from all the kids. Oh, she's 11 years old. And from the, all, all the kids. She was the only blind girl on the class. And she was the one that tried the hardest to to do the technique. Her arm bar, it's like amazing, you know. And she can't even see it. But she tries so, so hard. And for me, I, I was learning from her. 
personally. I was like, oh my gosh, she tries, you know, more than any other kid that's here. And so it was a really good experience for me, you know. Yeah. I was glad that I always had that open mind of uh, teaching everybody without, like, picking, without being a pick. I can only teach this kind of public or that kind, you know. I was Whoever get inside this door and they say that they want to learn it, I'm here to teach. That's great. Miriam, looking back, you know, you, you see your coach uh, as you're a brown belt, like hesitating and being nervous about you competing in the open weight division, you know, for, you know, fearful that you might get hurt. And then just the surprise and, and excitement he felt uh, when you won. And then looking at you now as a coach, and and you have a, a child that has surprised you with her ability to do a, a beautiful armbar and not be able to see. It's probably a similar feeling, not obviously not the same, but like the proud feeling you have of, of her accomplishing something that's that's very difficult uh, through hard work and, and dedication. Oh yeah, it's for sure. Yeah, it's so so good. And then I can. Uh, understand my professors better now today you know like i can understand like you back in the day when i would look and say oh my gosh they're so happy why are you so happy yeah. <laughs> now i get to feel that what happened one was last year one of my students he is a white belt and then he went to a tournament without telling me he just registered himself and then he won the tournament and he came back with a gold medal all happy. I was so sad and I told him, I was like, don't do that ever again. And he like, boy, I won. I was like, but you took my pleasure to watch you, you know, all my hard work. I was training you and I didn't even know you would go to a tournament. And he and he was like, I'm I'm so sorry. And I was like, okay. But it was was like you yeah, good that happened because I was able to get the whole class and tell everybody how important, you know, it's like don't go to the tournament without telling your your professor or your coach. Because it's not just your hard work, it's our hard work too. And it's uh, we feel like so much pleasure in seeing you guys there competing. And when you don't tell us, you're basically taking that from us, you know. And it's not fair, you know. We want to be there. We want to feel all the emotion going on. You get nervous. We can nervous too. We're on the other side. It's nothing that we can do but yell, you know. So... Um, and then I think now they understand that. And uh, he told me, I'm so sorry. I, I just didn't know if you would like to go because he was like the only one that went. I was like, yeah. you know, it, you guys, even that you're older than me, because he's adult and he's older than me. I was like, but even if you're older than me, you're still my kid. You know, <laughs> <laughs> so I do want to be there. I do want to watch you. I want to get all the feeling i want to be make sure that i'm there to give you advice to yell you when you feel like you can't do it or anything i want to be able to help you yeah. know and so then i understand like now my professors you know i can like yeah that's how they feel you know 
Miriam, I've had a blast getting to know you. I really uh, like the way you coach, and, and you've done amazing things on the mat, and we're looking forward to seeing you compete. Uh, before I let you go, I want to invite you to play a, a round of Family Feud with us, and I know people listening will, will kind of think of the answers as you go along at home. Are you ready to try this out? Yeah, I'm okay. ready. <laughs> All right. Uh, this, this should be fun. Okay, here, the first question. Name something that never works when you need it most. Fixing your grips. Never fix your grips in a choke. <laughs> they should go wherever it is. It never works when you try to fix it. They escape. <laughs> okay. Name something that people do in their sleep. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Scratched the book. <laughs> <laughs> so I need to, I, I should tell you that uh, these aren't like jujitsu questions. <laughs> oh, that's not jujitsu questions? Yeah. I liked your answer of fixing the grips, but. Uh, okay, go back. Okay. <laughs> okay, gotta oh, be sorry. all jujitsu um, questions. What was that? All jujitsu answers? No, they're not jujitsu answers. Oh, they're just like okay. normal, everyday, anybody could answer. Okay, okay, okay. So let's, so, try. <laughs> let's try again. Yeah. Name something that never works when you need it the most. Never works when you need the most. The phone? The phone? The phone. Okay, that's yeah. a good answer. Name something that people do in their sleep. Snore. Snore, that's the best answer you can get. Name something that people hide. Uh, money. Good one. <laughs> now you're a pro. Name something that people often do before they go on a job interview. Uh, fix it up themselves. Uh, uh, yeah, Dr- like dress up clothes-wise? Yeah, or, okay. Up, yeah. Yeah, okay. Name something that people put on during the course of a day. Shoes. All right, Miriam, I've got your... your your scores here. Your uh, first answer, name something that never works when you need the most, phone, uh, nine points. Uh, and then after that, that was your your least strong answer. After that, you hit like all the answers perfectly. Name something people do when they sleep. Snore was the best answer you could give at 61 points. Something people hide is money for 70 points. Something people do before an interview is get fixed up. Uh, like dress up uh, 29 points and then name something people put on during the course of a day clothes and shoes is in the same category 50 points Mary you have the new record two oh, yay. <laughs> two, <the> yeah 219 <laughs> points is the is the new record that we have on the show <laughs> and and have you ever watched this show before the family feud no, I will have to watch now. <laughs> You're a natural now. You got you got to go check it out. It's a it's pretty funny, but uh, you did great. Thanks for being on the show with me. I had a good time getting to know you. Had fun on the. Uh, uh, I'm impressed with your Family Feud ability. You have another hidden talent. <laughs> I wish I had to practice. <laughs> if anybody beats me, you call me back so I can try again. <laughs> back in the open division of Family Feud. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, that was that was a lot of fun. Thanks so much for doing the interview with me, Miriam. Thank you. Thank you so much. It was so much fun. I want to thank Miriam one more time for jumping on the podcast, talking with us. Great to meet her uh, over the podcast here and, and 
learn about you know what she's done. She had a lot of great stories. That's always fun to hear. I you know what? It was great discussion about jujitsu. I was f- floored with how good she did with uh, the Family Feud. Uh, you guys haven't heard it yet. Her score. So on the Family Feud, a hundred is a good score because you're giving your partner a fair chance at getting uh, the next hundred points. Anything above a hundred is is you know you're giving them a better shot than than most. Uh, Miriam scored 219, basically Jeez. winning the whole thing by herself. By herself. <laughs> And, and, you know, and, yeah, I, I, I think we got something going. I mean, you know, we talked about health IQ earlier, you know, where uh, they have done research and show that people who are healthy, um, you know, train sports, uh, you know, like I said, jujitsu, live longer and I uh, should get, uh, you know, better rates. Like in this in Family Feud, you know, you watch it on TV, rarely do the both people get to 100. You know, here Miriam's getting uh, over 200 by herself. Tim Sled last week got 62 points on just one question. And it's like, so I'm, you know, I know we only have a short, you know, study so far, but I'm sitting there thinking jujitsu people are not only healthier, we're more intelligent. Um, just the way uh, this is going. So uh, I think that's another thing we could talk about uh, as benefits of jujitsu is, is our intelligence. It's possible, but uh, didn't you and I play Family Feud as well? I'm not sure <laughs> well, you scored that high. Well, we're not third degree black belts like uh, Miriam, so uh, maybe when you know we're we're gonna increase our intelligence as we get there. I see. I'll buy that. Or maybe just <laughs> smart people are attracted to jujitsu. We don't know, but we do know that training jujitsu uh, leads to a healthier lifestyle, and that Health IQ knows that as well. Uh, people who are fit and healthy, like us jujitsu practitioners. Um, they have like a 56% less risk of heart disease, 20% less risk of cancer, 58% lower risk of diabetes. And if you are in a normal life insurance program, you're not really being rewarded for that. This is almost like, think of it as you're a good driver, you pay a lower rate for your car insurance. You're good to your body, you're training jiu-jitsu, you're healthy, you deserve a lower rate for your life insurance. It's, it's that simple. Check out the link in the show notes. Uh, we're happy to have them as a sponsor for the show. And uh, I think this will be a great opportunity for people to save money with a product you need anyway. If you don't have life insurance, you're really putting uh, the ones you love most uh, in a kind of a tough spot should they need it. It's not something you really get for yourself. It's something you get to protect your family. And uh, look into that. And yeah, <laughs> everybody needs to have life insurance. And health IQ would be great because you train jujitsu and you're you're keeping yourself in good shape. Yep, and you won't know if you qualify unless you go to healthiq.com and uh, check it out. So take take a few minutes and do that, guys. Yep, definitely uh, check out their health IQ quiz. Uh, that's one of the ways to uh, qualify for their exclusive rates. But you know what I think is awesome too is you can get additional savings by submitting actual data like race results, uh, RunKeeper, or any app data to them. You know that they ask for. So uh, you know they actually walk the walk. They say that uh, you know, hey, we want people in good shape, and uh, you know they'll qualify for uh, you know exclusive rates. And uh, instead of just saying that, they they will give it to you if you. Uh, you know, do well on the health IQ quiz and uh, submit some results. So definitely, uh, like Joe said, check out the health IQ uh, uh, link there. And uh, we have a link to it in the show notes. Yeah, thanks uh, for our sponsorship there. 
you know, we couldn't have got this far without you guys listening and telling your friends about us, and, and we're really enjoying uh, the success we've had with the podcast. We've got some cool things coming down the road, uh, trying to plan a event. We're not sure of the date and the people that will be involved, but uh, keep your ears open, and hopefully within a week or two we'll bring you some news about a big BJJ Brick event, the first one we've ever done, and uh, I think it'll be a blast. Byron, don't say it's get, when you talk about a Brick event – that it's going to be a blast, uh, you know, that uh, gets people a little scared that they're going to get bricks thrown at them. Oh, it'll be a smashing success. How about that? Oh, that's okay. even worse. Yeah, because then it sounds like you get a smash, <laughs> get smashed with bricks. Gary will be, be in a, charge of be the advertisement. <laughs> it'll be a good time. Good times, good times. Well, guys, you know, uh, all roads lead through Wichita. So if you're in the Wichita <laughs> area, look up Gary and Byron. Uh, they'd be glad to train with you. If you're in the Houston area, I train south there about about 45 minutes. So you can contact me through the BJJ Brick uh, Facebook page or through the email, and I'd be glad to come train with you or point you to a good school to train with in the area. So hit us up, guys. Yep, we love training with you guys anytime we can. Uh, the article this week, we are on joshjujitsu.info. Uh, that's where we've landed this week. And he's got a lot of stuff on there, and I just kind of stumbled on uh, one of his uh, short clips he wrote here. And I think it's interesting. We'll have a discussion about it. But basically, uh, Josh, the title of this, If They Can't Stop You, Is It Not Wrong? And he's referring to the technique that somebody is doing that, okay, it's wrong. Um, Gary is trying to pass my guard, and he's trying to choke me, uh, you know, with, with his hands. And... Yeah, Gary, technically, probably shouldn't be doing that. But you know what? I can't sweep him. I can't armbar that guy from that position. I'm having a hard time. Is it wrong? And you know what? Maybe he'll even pass my guard from time to time. Uh, how do you, Is it wrong or is it okay? Is it right? How do you guys feel about this? Somebody doing something that is technically wrong. Another ex- easy example, maybe even uh, a little bit more uh, likely to be seen, is you know, you're trying to pass the guard and you're getting frustrated and, you know, I can't even open this guy's guard. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to throw in one of my hands, one of my arms out of the closed guard. He's going to go for a triangle, and I'm just going to escape triangle and pass guard. Boom. Pretty simple. Pretty easy pass for some people against other people. Is that right or is that wrong, guys? I like that example. And I guess a question I would pose to somebody who is wrestling with this if I want to throw my arm through there and do that pass, I need to practice it a little bit. Um, might have to do some reps and uh, do some drilling. But it's really only a technique that's going to work against people with a, a bad guard, a bad triangle. It's going to work against beginners. And so I'd have to ask the question, why do you want to spend a lot of time uh, develop, developing a technique that only works against beginners? Yeah, I agree with you right there, Joe. Um, you know, I look at jujitsu as a very long journey. Uh, we can have short-term success, you know, like you said, against somebody who may not have a very good triangle um, by doing that, and you know, end up passing and getting to getting to ourselves into an offensive position, and hopefully finish from there. Um, but is that really going to help us farther down the journey? I mean, we may be good in the first quarter, but uh, as we, you know, keep going down the journey, you know, I try to do that against Ryan Hall. I think I'm going to be asleep here very quickly. And, um, you know, that was one of the things when I first started training, you know, Byron, you've always talked about that. That's one thing you've always put in my head. Uh, you know, I've always kind of 
looked up to Byron and he's taught me a lot while we've uh, trained and, and gave me a bunch of words of advice. And, you know, one of the things Byron would always tell me is, uh, you know, when you, is that working? You know, you want something that's going to work on everybody. You don't want just to work on people that are that are less talented than you because it's it's not going to help you in the long run. And you know, uh, and you know, you'd always tell me, Byron, when I'm working on a new move and something I get, you know, started off against people less talented than me, get it working on them. You know, just to work out the bugs and then you just keep working up the, the ladder. And then when you can do it on somebody that's better than you, you would always tell me, hey, you know, you've got it down. You're, you're finally got it. And uh, so, yeah, I, I definitely want stuff that's going to work for me from, you know, from the brand new person to somebody much better than me. Um, I don't want something that's just going to give me short term excess. So looking back at the article here, I'm going to read a little bit of it because I want to try to portray it as it is written <laughs> and not just summarize it. Um, he's asking, uh, is it really wrong for them to be choking you inside your guard if you can't stop them from doing that? Uh, the answer is no. I, I just want to say something, too, on that. Um, you know, we, we talked a little bit ago about, you know, self-defense with the spaz part. You know, I mean, a lot of jujitsu is self-defense. A lot of people really really like that self-defense spot and that's something you're you'll probably get with the untrained person out on the street um so i do see some some benefit there you know depending on you know if you want to be a world champion or not yeah i mean there could be benefit from training this i'm going to uh read a little bit more here the the answer is no talking about the getting choked from with your own guard it is 100 percent correct for them to do it if you can't prevent it there are no wrong techniques in jiu-jitsu only things that work and things that don't if it works then it is not wrong when it stops working then it's wrong and i guess it's hard to totally disagree with this but think about it from the perspective of what are you investing your time and energy towards getting better at a technique that will ultimately not work against people who are good at jiu-jitsu or do you want to work on things that are actually going to work yeah you could do the same techniques as a white belt do the same techniques as a black belt. You're going to be phenomenal at them, but you're not going to pass the guard by putting your hand on somebody's neck and crushing their throat uh, or trying to. You're going to get arm barred or swept or triangled or whatever. You're not going to pass the guard by offering them a free triangle attempt uh, at black belt. So <laughs> to push back on this article a little bit, I, I would really urge you to think about if they're telling you it's wrong, if they say, hey, don't do that, it's not really smart, sorry, I can't tap you out with this or, or do my uh, thing that I should do, but technically, uh, further down the road, everyone's going to capitalize on this on you, and you're spending your time and energy working on developing a technique that is fundamentally flawed. I mean, he says no techniques are wrong. There, There's a lot of flaw in techniques, and I would say your guard passing technique has some flaws in it if it you know, makes you put yourself in positions that are uh, not good to be in. You know, this is a little bit off topic, but I think he's actually making a statement to do two different groups of people here. And one is he's telling the the new white belts it's okay to, to do these techniques, and I'm with you. I don't know that I 100% agree with that. But I think he's also talking to the blue belts that are continually yeah. correcting the yep. new people. And if you if you got to tell me that I shouldn't be trying to choke you from inside the guard instead of arm barring me and sweeping me, then maybe you need to work on your techniques. And I, I think that's kind of, that's kind of what he's saying. If, if, if somebody's giving you a hard time with sloppy technique, 
figure out a way to deal with it instead of correcting them and, and tell them what they're doing wrong. And they'll learn from that probably better than they'll learn from you continuously uh, verbally correcting them. You know, you, you are right, Joe. Now that I read that very last paragraph, uh, you know, I was looking at it the wrong way. I, I do see what you're saying. And it's, yeah, I mean, I'm going to learn a lot better, you know, instead of being in somebody's guard all the time and reaching out and choking them with both my hands and somebody telling me that's not right to do, but I'm like, Hey, he's not doing anything to stop it. But if I reach out there with my hands to choke him and he, he, you know, he shifts his hips and I get armbarred every single time and he takes his pick, whatever arm he wants to armbar me, he'll do one left, one right, and just keep going back and forth. You know, I'm going to learn quicker that way. That's a good perspective, gentlemen. Uh, really talking to two different groups of people, the people that are doing the techniques that are questionably wrong, which some of them flat out are wrong, in my opinion, and doing the people that are trying to convince them that something is wrong and they can't back it up with their actual technique. And thinking about myself in this, I often uh, find myself in a situation. I teach a particular guard pass, and while I'm showing somebody this guard pass, it's one I love, um, and it's got a few different things in it that are, uh, I don't even know how to describe this guard pass. Anyway, um, but it's not hard to teach, and it's not hard for somebody who's even uh, a white belt with a few months to understand this pass. But I'll, at one point, I'll say, I'll say, tuck your elbow in, or you might get it. And then I usually will say, I can't Kimura you from here. My Kimuras aren't very good. And legitimately, I probably don't. Most blue belts have a Kimura that is probably better than mine. Like, my Kimuras aren't very good. I, I, I don't know. I haven't put the time and energy into doing a Kimura. Uh, Gary could probably testify to my Kimura. I've never Kimura Gary, not that that would be show how good it was because, I mean, I'm not even close to Kimura. I can't Kimura, uh, hardly any, anyway. Uh, but I, I'll tell him flat out, if you if your elbow is out, you will get Kimura sometimes. Keep your elbow tucked in and you'll be safe. And then inevitably, when I show some of this, this guard pass, I'll end up pulling guard. It's a butterfly guard pass. I'll end up playing butterfly guard and they're going to try this thing. If their elbow is sticking out, I just tap it. Hey, watch those Kimuras. And even though I can't do it, maybe I could, but um, I, I generally have a hard time backing up that thing. It is a flaw. And I've had to fight out of a lot of Kimuras when I make this mistake. And maybe the maybe the fact that I could do a lot of other things on the mat and it's and they know that I can uh, helps back that up. But I don't see a, a fault in saying to somebody, hey, a lot of these guys in here, a lot of these girls in here are going to be all over this Kimura if you do this. Uh, I'm having trouble with it, but still, heads up, man. You're going to give yourself a little bit harder time passing if your elbow's sticking out. That's kind of how I phrase it. Yeah, I, I do the same thing. Uh, I'm older, I'm not athletic, and, and I've done the same thing before. And, you know, I, I don't never try and take a, away a win from somebody, but, you know, I've been put in a bad position and had a tap, and, you know, I tell the guy that, that worked, but it's not always going to work against these younger guys that are quicker, more athletic, and, you know, maybe there's a few mistakes you could avoid going forward. I think it's how you word it. If you, if you literally try your best to, to triangle somebody as they try to pass your guard with the triangle and you can't do it, you kind of seem like you're complaining to them as far as, Hey, that's not really good guard pass. And they're all like, just got to finish choking you. Eh, it kind of was a good guard pass. But if you just phrase it, Hey, my triangle isn't that good. Uh, you know, I definitely don't have the, the best triangle nowhere near here, but a lot of these people in here, if you try that, they're going to end up triangling you like easily. And, uh, just a heads up, you know, our instructor showed this guard pass last week. Why don't you try that one? And it's a lot less risky. You're just kind of, I think it's like, it's so much of this. It's how you communicate it. 
And if you just communicate it with saying, uh, that's not good, and you try to triangle and you don't, uh, you're not really helping them understand why it's not good. And maybe it's not your role to, to help them with that position. But uh, <laughs> it's, I don't know. I think it's an interesting idea. And I do think that there are, you, you could do a technique totally wrong and still have a good result. But that doesn't mean it's what you should be doing. That, that, that's not helpful. Um, you could shoot, you know, a free throw with terrible form and make it. But that doesn't mean your form can't be improved upon and you could become more consistent at shooting those free throws. That's a that's a really good point. It's not, not whether you can make it once in a blue moon, but you know, having some consistency and being able to repeat the uh, get get the results repeatedly. And I know Gary can always appreciate the basketball analogy. Yes, thank you for thinking about me, Byron. <laughs> I'm also thinking about our Patreon supporters. Uh, wow, they are the uh, the brick foundation. I don't know if bricks make a good foundation, <laughs> but a uh, bedrock foundation under this brick wall here. That's really helping us uh, uh, go and, and maintain what we're doing. And as we continue to ramp things up, uh, if you like the show, want to support us, the easiest and most simple way to do that is to go to our Patreon link and uh, sign up to be a supporter. And what you'll do is you'll pledge what you uh, want. A dollar is, I think, the most common thing. Pledge a dollar. I'll send you out a BJJ Brick Gi patch. It's a five-inch patch. It's going to look great in your gi. You're going to look so cool. <laughs> you'll look almost as cool as Gary and Joe after they got their massage. Uh, it also sends you out a BJJ Brick sticker. It invites you to our uh, private Facebook group where you'll find uh, us hanging out with our other uh, listeners and uh, uh, Patreon supporters and a couple of local friends here. And oftentimes we'll bat an idea around or we'll talk about a, a guest that's coming up and what we should talk to them about. Um, yeah. So all that's available. Uh, please, if you at all enjoy the show and you want to support us, Patreon is a great way to do that. And uh, we appreciate all the Patreon supporters. So thank you guys for doing that. Yeah, and a lot of times Byron will even send you out a special gift of a, a nine by twelve uh, color photo of Byron's smiling face. Um, I have talked to a lot of our Patreon supporters, and that makes a great uh, dartboard. So uh, definitely, uh, <laughs> you know, Byron will send you a free dartboard. Yep. If you hit me right on the nose, uh, well, big deal. Everybody could do that. That's a pretty big target. <laughs> <laughs> and you can see that big target on our social media if you haven't been by there yet. Uh, easiest one is uh, or probably the the most active one. Thanks to our friend Joe here is Facebook. Uh, find us on Facebook. We have a lot of stuff going on there. We'll put clips of the show on there. Joe's always putting interesting ideas and kind of off the mat lessons he's picked up and 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 lots of different stuff on there. Uh, it's fun interacting with you guys. Also have a YouTube channel. It's growing. It's well over a thousand uh, followers. And this time last year we had a couple hundred and uh, decided to make uh, YouTube a bigger thing for us, and I've been trying to put out videos pretty regularly there. And uh, our app, the BJJ Brick app, go to your app store, wherever that is, type in uh, the BJJ Brick podcast or BJJ Brick, I forget what you got to type in. I should know that. And the app will have all sorts of stuff from the show and a little bit of additional content. Maybe we'll be kind of giving each other a hard time before or after the show, and I might put that on there just for the app listeners. What do you mean giving each other a hard time? Normally it's uh, focused on me. Well, us giving Gary a hard time. That's that's the one more way that's to say right. it. That's what we mean. Yeah, yeah. That, that's about right. <laughs> uh, I've had so a good all, time today. Always, Go ahead. Yeah, we did. We always say that uh, the best way to help the show grow is to uh, tell a friend. 
And Byron, you've been doing a great job with those uh, clips from the show. And if uh, anybody wants to tell a friend, man, all you got to do is uh, click the share button and share it to your own Facebook page or share it with somebody you think might appreciate it. You know, uh, one of the best things is I shared uh, Tim Sled's uh, little clip of uh, um, Family Feud. And the crazy thing is, is a work buddy of mine who has no, never trained jujitsu, knows nothing about jujitsu, saw me share that, listened to it, and actually brought up uh, that, you know, a couple of his, uh, his answers and, uh, you know, at work. And I just thought that was kind of cool that uh, just by sharing it, all of a sudden, uh, some guy who's probably never even, you know, been to the BJJ Burke page uh, brought it up and we had a conversation about it. So I thought that was pretty cool. And you'll have him on the mats in a month. Yes, uh, kind of a little afraid of this guy. <laughs> <laughs> well, wait till Joe gets here. Then we'll get him on the mats with Joe. Yeah, yeah, perfect. <laughs> Just that, call me the victim. <laughs> <laughs> kind of alluding well, to. Hey, yeah, go ahead. Don't worry, Joe. I'm the victim every week. So uh, sometimes <laughs> somebody's got to take one for the team. Garrett, you just you got to learn to quit playing the victim and start going on offense. And that's really what the uh, well, you've audio been telling book is me about. Forever, Byron, that my best offense is defense. Well, because your defense is so bad. <laughs> <Just kidding>. <laughs> <laughs> no, Gary, your offense is phenomenal. Um, so here's here's the deal. At the end of the show, sometimes I like to throw out a fake audiobook that these guys have been working at and see where they go with this thing. Your audiobook this week, gentlemen, is called The Best Offense is a Good Defense. How I can defensively win at jiu-jitsu. And I don't know really what you guys are doing to pull off defensive wins. And, and if you're just getting kind of booed off the stage or you're just boring your opponent, I don't know what's going on here. But evidently, you guys have packed in a ton of content in this short three-day audiobook that really tells them what, how good you guys are defensively and how you could win with a strong defense. Well, it's basically a street fighting book. And you've seen that... Uh commercial on tv where the guys are going to the football team and the one guy takes a big plywood uh, in the shape of a d and the other guy pulls out a piece of his yard fence and he goes and so their defense yeah well, G- gary and i just carry those around with us and if anybody gets out of hand we just you know start beating them with the d in the fence and i mean it's a pretty effective weapon yeah the good thing about the d is you can actually put it over somebody's head you know, take back control and pull on it. It's a rear naked choke without actually having to worry about getting bit, you know, because your forearm is never anywhere near the guy's mouth. The only thing they're going to bite is the wooden D. So, I mean, it, it works. <laughs> I didn't realize it was going to go down that bad. The guy's always putting his uh, wooden D on people's heads. Uh, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Man, but the, the crazy thing is, and we'll just pretend that didn't happen. Uh, is that the audiobook is shaped like a piece of fence. That's kind of a neat thing. I didn't know how you shape an audiobook. But it, well, uh, you also get a D there, too. And the shape, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the wooden, you get a wooden D and a wooden fence. What you do with them is your business. <laughs> but, you know, we don't just... We've, we've got a couple chapters at the back. You know, we're not just talking about street fights. Uh, we got a couple chapters at the back, uh, you know, for jiu-jitsu. And... You know, the best defense is offense. So basically, a lot of times, if you can make the lot, the match go long enough, you can tire people out and they'll just quit, you know, because they can't tap you out. 
and that's that's one of our big goals like we've got one thing where you know you think about people working out you know trying to get bigger and stronger a lot of people do shrugs to make build stronger traps what we try to do is we try to you know decrease the size of our neck so one thing we do a lot is we stand on our head with weights on our foot what we're trying to do is we're trying to push our head directly on top of our shoulders so we don't have a neck and hence no if you got no neck they can't choke you yep that's one of the big things we're, we're doing there um when you got another thing is you have to go to uh you know certain countries for this because a lot of doctors in the u.s won't do it but you can get your arm sewed to your body so you don't have an arm and that way if you don't have an arm joe what happens yeah you can't get arm barred i yep. tell you uh if you're not willing to make that commitment just get yourself a really good jean jacket and just sew from the inside of the sleeves, clear down to the wrist, so it's like your hands are in your pockets and your arms are glued to your sides. Yeah, works great. And uh, yeah, not getting armbarred. Yeah, you're not going to get armbarred. So I mean, it works great. We've we've done a lot of stuff, um, you know, to make sure that uh, you're not going to get armbarred yeah. or choke, choke or armbarred. Uh, you know, having that uh, no neck. Is the opposite of having uh, more money. More money, more problems. No neck, no problems at all. Right, guys? Uh, Joe, I think you stumbled upon uh, possibly the best gi design ever. Literally sewing the sleeves to the core of the gi would prevent a lot of uh, submission attempts on you. And I don't know if it's going to be legal or not, but we're going to look into investing a lot of money into a uh, gi that basically you can't move your arms. Yeah, but you're not going to get Kimura to armbar. Hey, Byron, I do want to correct something you said. You said no neck, no problems. And that's what Joe and I thought, um, you know, when we did it. But there, <laughs> there are problems. Try wearing a turtleneck with no oh, neck. Oh, man. Yeah, so that was one of the problems we have, we've come up to. But we do include that in there just in case, uh, you know, I know turtlenecks are really popular today. And my, and so my necklace in- keeps ending up in my mouth all the time. Yeah, yep. So there are a couple of things that could happen. Yeah, there's some sacrifices you'll have to make, but trust me, guys, in the end, it will be worth it. Yeah, it's, 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 yeah you don't have to train nearly as hard either, guys. Yeah, you don't. I mean, you just have to uh, just ball up. and uh, Well, actually, you can't ball up because we're, you know, it's like we're in a big full-body straitjacket. But, um, you know, we win a lot of matches that way. Yep, it's all about the D. The wooden D. The big D. <laughs> Oh, man. Well, that book uh, took an interesting turn. We never know where those are going to go. And I think Gary did that on accident, but it was brilliant. <laughs> there it is again. I have now been called brilliant, intelligent a couple times this show. I think uh, you guys are starting to warm up to me. The, the pre-show. Know, most... Go ahead, Joe. I said most of them were you calling yourself brilliant. So... <laughs> <laughs> Got to discount that a little bit. He's playing mind tricks on us, Joe. <laughs> Well, next week we'll be playing mind tricks on everybody when it's just a show with just us, uh, BJJ Brick crew. Uh, the plan is to talk about pressure, how you could increase your pressure, how uh, you could deal with pressure when it's being uh, put on you. A lot of different tips and ideas about pressure, our favorite uh, positions to put the pressure on. And, uh, and I made a little note here, gentlemen. Think about stories about you dealing with pressure and how it felt, how it made you feel and, and, and what you learned from it. And I've got a good story uh, about myself learning about pressure and I was really shocked with how much pressure can be applied by one person. And uh, we'll share that next week. 
pressure, my friends, next week. Uh, that's what you mean when you said share stories when dealing with pressure. Because I thought, you know, sometimes I'm getting crushed in bottom side control. I'm just like, did I tell you about my vacation <laughs> last week? <laughs> <laughs> That's that okay. That's a legitimate uh, tactic: is to use some nice idle conversation, distract them a little bit, and then you know escape the pressure. Well, that we might bring that up. Yep. Or what you could do is just a uh, deep breathe uh, to control that pressure. You know, which is controlled by the vagus nerve. And we get a lot. We learned a lot this week, gentlemen. We have. Stay sweaty, my friends. And don't forget to shower. Train hard, train smart, get better. We'll see you on the mats, guys. Thank you for listening. I hope you find the time today to roll. After all, the best way to get better at Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is to do Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. a rear naked choke without actually having to worry about getting bit, you know, because your forearm is never anywhere near the guy's mouth. The only thing they're going to bite is the wooden D. So, I mean, it, it works. <laughs> I didn't realize it was going to go down that bad.